Hey, welcome everyone. We are so glad that you're here at your Enneagram Coach, the podcast, and we're on YouTube. So we hope that you'll go over there to our YouTube channel, see this video, like it, and then subscribe uh, so that you can see all of the other podcasts that we have going. Well, today we are continuing our conversation on type sevens. And in this episode, we're actually going to interview two type sevens and they actually have the same last name, but are not related. So that's kind of fun. Um, do we know that? I don't, I've never asked them that question. Well, we'll find out, I guess, when yeah. you introduce them. Oh, man, the intrigue. Yes. So type sevens share, as you know, the same core motivations and the basic EIP parts, but you can't put all sevens into the same box. Each person has their own unique story that causes their EIP parts to show up differently. So as we know, in the Bible, God focuses on our heart condition, and the Enneagram reveals whether our heart is aligned or misaligned with gospel truth. And when we use EIP, it helps us to understand the various parts of our heart. So your main type has two parts to it, the misaligned wounded child and the gospel-led beloved child. Your type has then four connecting types, your two wings and your two Enneagram paths. Those are the two types that are connected with the lines in the Enneagram symbol. And each of these parts can show up either aligned or misaligned. Now, when your wounded child is trying to lead, it's going to bring less healthy tendencies. And we can use this awareness so that we can then surrender, depend, and ask the Holy Spirit to come in and help us. Now, when your beloved child leads your heart back to the gospel truth, you will then see the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Today on our show, we have two type sevens. Uh, first up is Amy Wicks. She lives in the same area where Beth actually grew up yes. in Overland Park, Kansas, and is one of our certified uh, coaches. She's also the host of the Simply Wholehearted podcast, and uh, her website is under the same great name. Um, so Amy, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, as you mentioned, I'm in Kansas City, and we've been here for about 13 years. But I joke that I'm really a mountain girl that right. somehow ended up on a cul-de-sac in the Midwest. <laughs> in a and hot, think, humid. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we're talking hot. It's the three digits kind of day. Yeah. Um, but we're we're here. We've been here for 13 years, and I go to the mountains frequently to get my fix. But I think we're going to be mm -hmm. here for a while. So I've got three right. kids. I've got they're entering and not entering. They're in high school in the midst of raising three assertive teenagers right now. Mm -hmm. So, whew, I need extra prayer, extra Jesus, extra coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. That's yeah. Awesome. And Tell I, us about your podcast. Oh, yeah. I started my podcast in 2017. Can't believe it. Um, yep. I've been doing that. Simply briefly. Wholehearted. The Simply Wholehearted podcast. And I love getting to talk to people. And I also do solo episodes teaching a little bit more about the Enneagram because I learned everything I know from you guys. So <laughs> I get to help spread the word and <laughs> coach women and uh, female entrepreneurs. And I love doing that. It's just been so much fun. Yeah. And not only are you certified Enneagram coach with us, but you also took our endorsement course on marriage and family. And I'm sure have used that extensively in a lot of the stuff that you do for marriages and family as well. Is that right? Oh, yeah. And I when I took the endorsement, 
I envisioned I was helping moms and daughters, teenage daughters in particular, or young adult in that relationship. So that's how I envision using it. And it's turned out that I've worked with a lot of coupled married couples and Mm. I am loving it. I just think the material really helped me feel equipped and able to provide something. And then they get to take that material, learn from you guys. And then we get to sit together and I get to kind of play that, that third party role who just supports and encourages them both, both creates that safe place. And just the fruit that I get to see from each session with those couples, it's, it's remarkable to me. It's been a, yeah. a lot of fun. I always tell people, this is job. the best job ever. Like just it to is. sit across from people, taking them through the Enneagram from a gospel center perspective, watching their lives literally transform. I mean, it's like, why isn't everyone doing this? But yeah. anyway, maybe, maybe <laughs> I'm a little biased. <laughs> we are. We're totally biased. <laughs> well, uh, next up is Christy Wicks. Uh, we're going to ask whether or not how far back their relationship goes. Um, both amazing type sevens, but maybe not related. Lives here in Nashville, Tennessee, but is originally from uh, deep in the heart of Texas. Uh, actually, not so much deep into the heart of Texas. It's more like the shoulder of Texas, I guess. Um, but Christy is the director of marketing here at your Enneagram coach, and we're so grateful for her. She's also a certified uh, coach with us and has written several super fun Enneagram articles uh, and a variety of different publications. So, Christy, thank you so much for joining us. What was it for you? When did you get introduced to the Enneagram? And what led you to start writing such fun articles about the Enneagram? I think I first heard about the Enneagram back in 2015. And it was fascinating to me from the beginning. You know, I had looked at all of these other personality typing systems and for most of them, it felt like they just regurgitated what you put in. You know, you take a test and it's like, you mm-hmm. did not tell me anything new. You just told right. me what I said to you. So right. whatever. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I found the Enneagram and I read over the description of the seven and it was like, wow, okay. You are definitely telling me things about myself that I didn't tell you in this test. And um, it's helping me understand things at a deeper level. So when I first figured out I was a seven, I didn't connect with the, um, the not core motivation, the core fear. Yeah. So I did not connect with the core fear at all. I thought like, I'm not afraid of pain. I have a really high pain tolerance. (laughs) And through learning about my type and through listening to podcasts about the Enneagram, then I actually heard a woman, she's a a pastor. And I heard her say that same exact thing to the interviewer. She said, Mm -hmm. I don't don't connect with this. I have a high pain tolerance. And I was like, oh my goodness, like (laughs) same. And then she has this epiphany and she's like, wait a second, maybe I've been skipping over pain my whole life. And that's why I think I have a high pain tolerance because I didn't even sit with it. I just moved ahead. So anyway, I've loved the Enneagram since I felt so known in a way when I read over some stuff related to it. And then, you know, one of the superpowers of a seven is seeing connections and drawing patterns. So I, it was such a natural transition for me to look at coffee shops I love around town and cocktail bars and different cities. And then to think, oh, this would be great for this Enneagram type. This would be great for this Enneagram type. 
So as a, a copywriter and a marketer, then that just was, it was so easy. Okay. So to get us started here, well, for one more question, I'm oh, sorry. Yes, yes. Can't miss this one. The Wicks. So tell us, what is the origin of your last name? And could you possibly be related? Well, I mean, for both of us, it's marriage, right? So yep. I oh, don't know. <laughs> yeah. So they probably have any, know as much. Do you have any relatives in Iowa <clears throat> or, uh, let's see, Joplin or Alabama? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, Bethy, why don't we dive into the world of the Type 7? Let's okay. just give, give them a brief overview of the Type 7 yeah, for the, sure. our listeners. So Type 7s are joyful, enthusiastic, and social people that radiate optimism in all situations. They're lovers of variety. Um, they live life big and are eager to enjoy all new experiences that the world has to offer. They see endless possibilities of innovation um, that really are all around them. And they radiate positivity and happiness. Um, and internally, they really bring out so much good. Um, they they just, they see the positive in any circumstance, but they also really fear missing out on things that are really fun. Now, their focus of attention is best case thinking. And this is to provide exciting stimulation so they avoid anything that could bring them discomfort. Now, they have many, many strengths, like being optimistic, outspoken, spontaneous, free-spirited, fun-loving, playful, and youthful. Uh, they also can be the life of the party. Uh, they're generous in making the world a better place for others. They're not afraid of being spontaneous or taking risks, and they love enjoying life to the fullest. Now, as we know, the core motivations, which are the driving force behind why we think, feel, and behave are so important. So let's take a look at the type seven's core motivations, but also how these will affect their EIP part. So keep that in mind. So type seven's core fear is being deprived, trapped in, in emotional pain, limited, bored, and definitely missing out on something fun. They're the true FOMOs of the world. Now, their core desire is to be happy, fully satisfied, and content, but they struggle with the core weakness of gluttony. Now, this isn't just about food, though they do love a variety of food, but this is where they're feeling a great emptiness inside and having this insatiable desire to fill themselves up with experiences and stimulations in hopes of finally feeling completely satisfied and content inside. But then they have a core longing, which is you will be taken care of. Well, Beth, thanks for sharing that uh, for our listeners. Now, for let's go with Amy first. We heard a little bit about Christy and her discovery of being a type seven. So, Amy, what was it for you that when you first read that description, like, oh, yeah, that's my type? We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. 
Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90 minute sessions and there's eight of them. Plus you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. Well, actually, it did not feel like my type. I actually read it and I thought, oh, I used to be a lot like that, but uh, that is the last thing that I am now. And I I definitely mistyped myself a couple of times and it took the time. It took a lot of conversation and that willingness to look at the hard things that I wasn't naturally inclined to do for myself. I could look at hard things for other people because I could step in and out of it, right? I think that's why I can coach really well and go to those deep, hard places because I'm going to be done in 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, But for myself, that's a different story. What if it will still keep hurting or be hard? But all of that to say, motherhood and life circumstances had me looking a little bit more like the one maybe, but I tried to identify as a two and a three and played with those for a little while, but I had kind of a unique situation that really amplified that stress line to the one. And it was, we got a new puppy (laughs) and I was up in the night a lot. Like I was with my little kids and I was like, oh no, 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 no. And I felt limited. I couldn't leave the house. There was all these sort of things that had me. And I was the coach at this time going, holy cow, I think I've gotten this all wrong. Um, But really Mm. that that message the heart longs to hear to be taken care of. When I was willing to look at that and allow that to sit a little while, uh, I I couldn't have said it better myself. And that is something that I come to again and again. And I love what you guys have uh, both said is um, like something didn't really land on you at first. Like, oh, I don't do that. Sevens often say, what do you mean? you will be taken care of. I don't know. What does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. That doesn't resonate, you know? And then I'll I'll point out, like, I'll give them a a scenario, like, you know, I'll talk about how kids, you know, they'll they'll say like, Hey mom, can we go to Chuck E. Cheese? Sure. Can we go to Dairy Queen now? Sure. Can we go to a movie? Sure. You know, and like all these things are lining up like, yes, yes, my parents are amazing. And then of course the parent has to be like, okay, now we have to go home do our chores, take a bath, do our homework and go to bed. And the kid, all of us experience this as kids, like, no, like, I don't want to do that. But that's what it feels like for a seven. And so to have someone say no, because the insatiable desire is still there. Like, even though they had the Chuck E. Cheese, the Dairy Queen, uh, the movie, like the insatiable desire isn't fully filled. And so they're still feeling almost like a kid that's starving. Like, no, wait, I I only got a little bit to eat. I'm still really hungry. Like, don't say no now. Like we were on a good trajectory. Like, don't, don't stop. So that really what it's coming to is you will be taken care of is someone ultimately absolutely taking care of that insatiable desire, that longing for contentment and satisfaction. And when I explain that, then the sevens are like, oh yeah, that's definitely true. You know, but just the, the phrase itself, I think, you know, Christy is kind of like what you were saying. They, it's kind of like a skipping stone, you know, on a, on a lake, like, 
oh, I don't feel that, or that's not me. And as, but like you said, if I sit with it just a little bit longer, then it becomes mm-hmm. clear. Well, when we talk about EIP, really it's the foundation of all the main connecting uh, parts to each Enneagram type. But there are also kind of an advanced level of understanding EIP. And for the seven, this part of them that uh, is resistant to looking at what's happening on the inside or maybe uh, accepting what's happening in the relationship uh, whenever it's actually an unhealthy dynamic and reframing that. Uh, It's a strong part of the type seven and can be part of why they struggle to Either one, embrace the Enneagram, Mm -hmm. uh, or number two, uh, discover their specific Enneagram type, Mm -hmm. because they they honestly just don't feel like, I I don't resonate with that particular language. Um, Well, the first thing, let's talk about this. Uh, Let's talk about the wounded child, the first of uh, two uh, parts to our main type. Now, the wounded child, that part of us that actually carries the sorrow, the tragedy, the... um, the trauma that we face by living in both a sinful and a fallen world. It's the vulnerable and tender part of our hearts. It reacts from a history of painful experiences, and it has the primal need to protect itself from more harm. Uh, And for the wounded child, it's trying to work the whole team. So Mm -hmm. for the seven, it's working the six, the eight, the one, uh, the five, all on behalf of trying to protect the wounded child. Beth, why don't you share a little bit about how the wounded child could show up for a type 7? Yeah, so for the type 7s, again, as a child, they longed to hear, you will be taken care of. But they felt disconnected from usually the parent figure who's supposed to be more of a nurturer and leaving them feeling emotionally cut off or neglected. So they were determined that they needed this certain care, and they were relying on others to come through for it, but really just never felt like they did to the point that they needed. So um, at any time, they started to feel like unpleasant feelings or emotions or being bored, deprived. They really kind of saw themselves kind of leaping into something more positive. It could have been, you know, back in the day as a kid, like watching TV, playing games, going uh, to play with friends, sports, humor, like you name it, books, whatever it was to take them out of that feeling deprived or limited. And so they would create a world around them that was full of happiness and and joy and exciting adventures um, so that they could kind of drown out those painful and hard feelings. Um, But the wounded child part believes the, the false message that comes in and they believe is that it is not okay to depend on anyone for anything. And so you can kind of see how this is, this is true from that story I kind of said just a second ago is, well, my parents were doing a great job that one day. Like they took me to Chuck E. Cheese. They took me to Dairy Queen. They took me to the movie, but then they cut me off. Like I can't depend on them. They didn't fulfill it. And so as children, they um, really kind of felt like they didn't get all that they needed. And, it, and it's not just what they want because as parents would have been like, what you, that's not what you you know, you needed, you wanted that, but not we needed, but for the seven is what they felt like they needed. And so as children, the seven saw the world as this endless buffet, but 
they never have the ability to fully gain that feeling of satisfaction and contentment. And so they longed for more and felt that the people around them were continually hindering them from going and grabbing all the food that would fill them up. And so they constantly felt dissatisfied and uncontent and that no one was around to help them. And even as an adult now, they still long to hear you will be taken care of. Well, uh, let's start with you, Christy, if if you're willing to go first. Um, When you think about your wounded child, um, what does that bring up for you? Are there certain memories? Are there certain feelings that you have around your wounded child? Yeah, I think what just came to mind as Beth was talking was um, when I was in sixth grade and I, so my family, we were a big sports family and so we traveled a lot, but it was always something productive, competitive, you know, we practiced every single day. So there was this uh, level of discipline that we, you know, put out every single day, always working towards Mm -hmm. something. And so my parents never took us on a vacation. So I'd see everybody around me, all my friends going on some sort of vacation. And that's just not something we did. And in sixth grade, I had to do a, a project of planning a trip or something. I don't know what the original prompt was. And so I did that for my class, but then I turned around and I pitched it to my parents. I, I just started thinking like, okay, well, the problem must be money or it must be this. And so I will figure out a way to address all of those problems in my presentation yes. to my parents. Um, yes. And so looking back, I'm like, this was one of the first times in my life where I was really like, I want this thing, you're keeping me from it, but I can do something about it. Here's how I'll solve it. And of mm-hmm. course, you know, in the end, we did not go on a vacation. So I did get you know a little bit let down, but I see how that has worked its way through really the rest of my life, you know, in, mm-hmm. in college, caring for myself, making sure I could do whatever I wanted to do if, if we ever have a job situation between my husband and me where we financials are not as stable as we want them to be, then I am always like, well, I have a plan for this. I can mm-hmm. fix this. I'll take on this job. I'll take on this. I don't want to sacrifice my lifestyle at all. So I'll just work a lot more to mm-hmm. make sure I can still live this lifestyle. Obviously, that doesn't really work because if I'm working all that much Mm -hmm. my lifestyle is still impacted um but i see that kind of rushing to make sure that i'm fully taken care of yeah the one caveat to that would be um i am an identical twin and so i for my entire life i've known that i have somebody who Mm. is with me in it and then of course, my husband now, like, so I have my twin and I, and I have great parents too, but the, the people that I think of who are in, in it with me and will make sure that I'm covered, like that's my twin and my husband. So. But Chrissy, uh, when you think about, cause if, if I recall, you grew up on a ranch, is that right? <laughs> I grew up on uh, 58 acres, but yeah. it was more just, it's land, more okay. land than ranch. I mean, what was it? Because I, I, I resonate. Not, my parents weren't necessarily performance driven, but uh, just in light of finances, we didn't go on vacations. Uh, and if we did take trips, it was usually related to my sports activities. Um, mm-hmm. But for you, and I, I wonder if it just highlighting a parenting principle using the Enneagram here, 
Uh, what was it about your parents that drove them to more performance thinking on trips where they really missed the opportunity to be able to engage in their child? They were living out their own Enneagram types is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was there was a miss. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. I know that my dad coached me. Um, and so our we were at tournaments, but it was a lot of bonding for that. So he got sure. a lot of joy out of all of the practicing and and he has so much pride in the things that his kids his kids have accomplished. So I he is um an Enneagram one. So when you hear that, then it's like, well, of course, of course he was going to do something productive yes. to this day. He doesn't really know how to relax. If he needs <laughs> to be accomplishing something. I, mean, I remember as a, a kid, if he did ever take days off from work, he was doing something on the land. There's a fence that has to be built or whatever. There was always a task that he needed to be doing. So yeah, I think was it expected for you to helpful. join him in that work in order to connect with him? I don't know that. I think maybe subconsciously I knew that. Yeah. Um, because yeah. he will talk about me being his helper mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Uh-huh. So we did a lot of projects together. Um, and I I knew from I think I knew from even the time that I was five that. I had some sort of special ability to bring delight to my dad. Mm. And so I liked being that kind of like sunshine that maybe sometimes was harder to get to when you're so disciplined in everything that you do. Sure. Well, I mean, I've not thought about uh, the type seven using that capacity within them because Mm -hmm. they're uh, even for the YEC team, Christy, you bring a sense of delight to yeah. the team. Like it's a, a gift to bring to other people. You know, it makes me think of the strength finder virtue of woo maybe, mm-hmm. or, um, but it, it's about winning people. Well, Amy, tell us about yourself and, and your experience of wounded child. Did, did you experience that kind of, that desire to bring delight to other people? Yeah. And I, I think it's so fascinating asking people these questions because it's like, Right, you you have a sister, at least a twin sister. Her experience of growing up and probably missing the family vacation maybe didn't even land on her radar, but that's your memory. <laughs> so um, I, for sure, you know, identify with a lot of it um, on many different levels. Um, but I I think that that charm and charisma really played out because I was a pastor's kid, and um, there was that element. I was the oldest of four. And it was my, actually my dad is a seven. And, uh, so there's, and my mom's a one, so there's, you know, some unique dynamic there, but that definitely played out where it was, um, kind of did play the role of entertainer for lack of a better word. Um, but I wouldn't have called it entertaining in the traditional sense or the partier, right? It was, but it was the, like working with adults and, being curious and keeping the conversation going and keeping it light and fun and um, all of that. And, and bringing oftentimes, I, I think my parents as pastors had a ton of difficulties. Um, that need to bring lightness was definitely there, but it also translated, interestingly enough, Christy, into, and maybe it's a birth order thing, but it also translated into how could I help 
And that mm-hmm. looked like cleaning the house and, you know, providing some sort of exciting activity or planning something. It's just so, it, it's just so interesting, right? Like we ask these questions or look at that sort of thing and it, and it plays out in a way that really echoes back the words that are said for us. We just maybe didn't look at it that way before. Well, why don't we dive into the beloved child? The beloved child is that part of us that's filled by the Spirit. It's the way that Paul describes it of the old self versus the new self, the old creation, new new creation. This is the the new created sense of self. And uh, it's a place of fullness. It's a place of creativity. It's a place of connectedness uh, with their own hearts and with others and with God. Um, it's it's the place that we find ourselves that oftentimes we offer to others, but we fail to offer mm-hmm. to the various parts of our own hearts. Like I can show up as Pastor Jeff to a lot of people, but uh, then whenever it comes to uh, reparenting or leading uh, little Jeffrey, like uh, that all of a sudden I get anxious, I get confused. I lose creativity. Uh, I may get, try to get controlling to kind of surround myself with um, with calmness, what I perceive to be peace. Um, Bethy, why don't you talk about what the beloved self looks like for the type seven? Yeah. So the beloved child knows who you are and whose you are. So like Jeff said, it's this spirit led self and it knows that, you know, all of Christ's blessings, joys and benefits that is ours. And so this allows the seven's heart and mind to actually savor the present moment and to have gratitude in their heart. It starts to well up with gratitude. Um, And then they can finally rest knowing that they don't have to continually seek and find and search for what's going to fill themselves up. So the type seven's beloved child might say something like, I don't need to escape or reframe painful experiences since Christ is with me and he will provide me with peace and assurance and joy. So Amy and Christy, you know, how does a beloved child part of your heart show up in life and bring about like that spirit led self that's going to bless you and help you to remind yourself that you no longer have to keep going to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, which really we kind of talk about at least uh, YEC that sevens are like kids that are starving and they see life as cotton candy and they just can't wait to like grab it all and eat it thinking that that's going to fill them up, but it obviously doesn't. And so all of us on earth are trying to fill ourselves up with things that don't satisfy because it's a heavenly void that we need God. But when your beloved child comes in, you start to really drink the the spring of living water, which is Christ, And when you do that, you're able to be fully at rest, fully satisfied and content. Your heart is able to savor the moment to be fully present. What is that like? Can you guys give us like some examples um, of when that experience has come, you know, in your life? Amy, why don't you go first? Okay. Um, I I think that, again, it's one of those things, right? You look back on your life and you've wondered why certain things have been a struggle or why you seem to wrestle it out with the Lord or you're at that place again of like, didn't I learn this 10 years ago? And for (laughs) me, that would be, yeah, that would be contentment, uh, wrestled with contentment for a a lot of my life on different levels for different reasons. And, and so, and it's interesting because this year I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about focusing on him, satisfying and contentment. And I've been a Christian forever, right? Like since before I was born kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, am I really here again? Um, and so I think it, I think that contentment has hit at different times or that satisfaction. And, 
And interestingly enough, my name, Amy, means beloved. And mm. um, and I think that uh, continually I'm discovering more and more of what that actually is. I had a baby view of it when I was younger and it's growing and growing. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not even at the beginning of the depths of it, but it's, it's going even if things don't satisfy or don't, I'm not taken care of. God is taken care of. And actually he's not just taking care of me, but he's abundantly taking mm-hmm. care of me and he is satisfying me. And I think coming at it from that posture has helped help me at different times when life is just missing my needs, relationships or whatever, that I can actually engage in it in a way where I'm not trying to get something or keep something back for myself. Instead, I can be fully present and give who I am, knowing that the Lord is ultimately, we're going to be okay and he's going to take care of me. He's going to satisfy me, even if this person can't or this job or this experience, like we're going to be okay. And um, so it's played out in many different ways, but that's a little bit of how I've Yeah, and you can see the tension between this beloved versus wounded self. Number one, I mean, just the ambivalence of the seven of Mm -hmm. I, I long to be content, but the seven heart is so experienced in longing. If I mean, it, yeah. there's maybe this is just a hypothetical, but it, it may be part of the seven heart is their giftedness in learning and understanding and embracing longing because mm-hmm. they act upon the longing, which animates us. It moves us, but you've got two things happening. There's the wounded child that's longing for more, but can't be satisfied versus the beloved self that's saying, no, we can be content. We can be in this moment, no matter what we may be experiencing, which is a, a tough uh, tension to balance uh, because every aspect of life, you're going to run into this tension. Um, Christy, what about you? How, how does your beloved part show up in your life and how does it relate to your wounded child? For me, what I think of is um, it's the pace that I go in my life. Mm. So I I am typically somebody who, you know, go, go, go all the time. Um, My calendar is always super full. And I think when I am in a really healthy place, then it's just slower. And I don't have to fill that open spot. Um, So instead of, let's say I invite a friend to hang out on Thursday and she can't go instead of what I would typically do, which is, well, who's the next person on the list? I'm going to find somebody else. I won't even like let myself feel sad about the fact that this person isn't available. Um, when I am really in this beloved space, then I am allowing myself to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And that is not, that's not a natural thing for me. That is something I've really worked on over the last few years is to actually sit in that And one of the things that was really, um, I guess, life-changing for me was when I realized I can be disappointed and I don't have to focus that disappointment on someone else. So if that friend can't hang out, well, I don't have to be disappointed in them. I'm just disappointed that the thing I wanted to do isn't going to happen. But then at the end of the day, I'm grateful that my friend knows that we have a relationship where you can say no to one another and you're still you know, you still have this very solid um, friendship. Hmm. So, and, and hearing the word uh, savor, I have always really loved 
you know, that word and just really set with that. And I've read a lot of Shauna Nyquist books. She's an Enneagram mm. 7. She has a book called Savor. So <laughs> this is a concept that I like think about a lot. It's interesting hearing you talk because I typically think I don't really struggle with the living in the moment part. Like mm-hmm. I do feel like I savor experiences when we're in Italy. I'm not planning whatever the next trip is. I am like, mm-hmm. I'm sitting back and soaking it in. It's great. But I don't, I would definitely struggle with savoring the in-between. So mm-hmm. I can savor the high points. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. But yeah, the like sitting and like being able to savor what happens in the in-between times is would be more difficult. Yeah. You know, I think it's in Philippians where Paul says, you know, I've, I've learned to be content in all things. And he starts listing off all these things. <laughs> right. I do wonder what that would look like for the type seven. Um, just to be able to identify and differentiate their beloved self. It's to say, I've learned to be content in all things. Uh, I've learned to be content in in the in-between on vacation times. I've learned to be content whenever someone tells me they can't hang out with me because there's a part of us that's maybe not carried that. Uh, it, It is interesting. I will say as a type six, um, I call my type seven part El Macordo. It was a nickname <laughs> given to me by some friends. Um, and, but I, I, I feel some of this stuff that you're, both of you are talking about. Now, it's always through the six lens, though. Yeah, and yeah. so it always has a little bit of sixiness in it. Um, but, I, man, I, I, I certainly resonate with uh, some of these realities because there's a part of my wounded self that mm-hmm. uses El Macordo to get to bring life, to make sure that I'm engaged, I'm involved, I've got plans or something. Well, uh, next up is to talk about the connecting parts. And so we're going to start with the wings. Uh, and for the seven, that's the six and the eight. Now, if you're seven and you've associated yourself with an eight wing, well, welcome to the party because there's a lot of, uh, it, that's one of the hardest two types to differenti- differentiate between the two of them. But uh, but we're going to start with the best part of who you are as a seven. <laughs> like it's the part that grounds you, that just makes sure that you are living out your sense of calling. Um, let's talk about your sixth part, uh, which is reliable, <laughs> trustworthy, like such great attributes. They're natural troubleshooters. Um, the sixth part helps to support the main tar by helping to collaborate with others to reach your goals and to be more committed, loyal, faithful friend. Like who wouldn't want that part of their heart when your wing six part is misaligned though, um, which rarely is the case, but <laughs> if it were, you might express things like anxiety, insecurities, dissatisfaction, maybe some frenetic energy about planning um, because someone may be hindering you from what you want. They may become, this part of you may become suspicious of others and test their loyalty to see if others will meet your needs or avoid them entirely to pursue what you want. Uh, This part may show up to be preoccupied with your desires so that you try to predict anything that might actually get in the way of obtaining them. Uh, it is interesting just even thinking about that, Christy, as I think about your work on our team. Like, there is a sense that that planning for different scenarios is both a gift and a burden 
depending upon uh, how that's being expressed. But um, uh, yeah, that is a gift to our team. Well, um, when our sixth part, trust in uh, the beloved child's leadership is uh, no longer needed for these unhealthy strategies for the wounded child. And from this place, you can rest. You may notice that the anxieties and insecurities actually take it to your father or to trusted friends. There's trusting that he'll care for your needs and give you the clarity, courage, and strength to handle life's challenges. And we become more warm, vulnerable, faithful, committed, witty, and engaging seeing circumstances with immense clarity and making accurate conclusions on how to solve the issues. So let's talk about uh, how does your six uh, wing show up in both aligned and misaligned ways? Well, the truth is I don't know. <laughs> I, um, I was thinking I about this for a while yesterday <laughs> and I, I lean so much into my eight wing. That mm-hmm. when I was thinking about this, you know, the misalignment and alignment, then I'd be like, well, I do this. Wait, that feels more eight-ish. Well, I do this. Well, that feels more <laughs> eight-ish. Um, so I'm going to pass this one to Amy. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> that's good. So I, what I will say, so this is a really great point because mm-hmm. um, when you read a lot of Enneagram books, they'll talk about having a dominant wing. And, and we still believe that you will have probably a wing that you use more often or you recognize more often for some people, not everyone. Um, but what we want people to recognize is that you do use both your wings and both your Enneagram paths to varying degrees. And so for you, Christy, what it sounds like is that you use your eight so much that it is in the forefront of your mind and it is assisting you, whether negatively or positively. And so you're noticing it so much. But I love how Jeff, just himself being a six and you're on our team, was able to really say, no, I see that six in you. You know, it helps you to think of all the things that might happen, the contingencies. Now, the seven definitely plays a part in that as well, but you you know, in the marketing sphere, definitely have to have contingency plans of what's going to happen. And so that sixth part of your heart um, will negatively affect you in a way that is like anxious, like, oh my gosh, we've got to like figure this all out. I don't know what's going on. Or it can assist you in a good way of like, you know what? I think this is going to go great. We've got a solid plan, but let me just come up with some contingency plans, some emails or some bonuses or something like this, that, and the other that could really assist us if we get in a bind. And so you keep, you you sit there and you keep kind of thinking about how your six helps. Like even think about when you go on vacations and stuff, just kind of think through what, where might might that six part of you show up? But we'll we'll let Amy take it, and then you can kind of well, come back. I, I, can I ask you a question or two? Oh, intrusive! No, just kidding. <laughs> that <hat>. is awesome. That's so true. Christy, are is it okay if I ask you a couple questions? Sure. I I'm okay. an overshare. So what do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, number one, this: Have you ever found yourself? Overly committed to a relationship. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, so that I was thinking, I was like, maybe I have a. Um, I am skipping over this because a close, but my best friend that I'm no longer best friends with, um, mm. she identified as a six for a long mm. time, and she no longer says she's a six. That's a whole other thing. Um, but 
I have a lot of pain from that mm. relationship. And the we had a, a friendship breakup two years ago. Um, mm. And I remember at the time, uh, which I did plan to talk about this uh, later when we get into some of the five part, because I feel like mm-hmm. I really leaned into some of my five path at that point. Um, but I remember talking to a college best friend and saying like, this is really painful. I had been best friends with this girl for seven years. And like, how did it get this terrible and this painful? And so my college friend, Hannah, she said, well, Christy, you have this incredible gift of seeing the best in people. And the problem is sometimes you focus on that for so long that, you know, you let these other signals and these like negative, this negative progression, you just continue to rationalize it. Like, well, this, but this person's really great. This person's really fun. We, I know that she cares about me, all of that. And so I do, I definitely see how that ties into this loyalist kind of mentality of it moved into a, an unhealthy, really codependent type of relationship where I was this, this rescuer stepping in, feeling like I needed to make sure everything was good for her and nothing. I was, I was committed no matter what, you know? Yeah. I think this is really important for people that are listening, especially for sevens, because the theme that I'm hearing is I skip over, you know, or I don't recognize. And a lot of the times it's because it's painful. Um, and we're and it not could very well be the function of the sixth part of your heart to deal with reality on reality's terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Well, and so I think the important part here is for all of us to recognize that we do use both parts, you know, and we want to take the time to actually even recognize the parts of us that we have focused the least amount of time on because they could be hindering us more than we ever thought, but also they give us so many gifts that we're maybe not letting them shine. And so by taking the time to get to know these parts, so like, for instance, like Christy, even though you know the Enneagram well, but taking the time to sit with six, like to look at the materials and read and go, when do these things show up in positive and negative ways? And then the negative ways, how can I use this information as a rumble strip, you know, something that alerts me, wakes me up so that I don't continue on that trajectory, but also how can I bring in these positive qualities that really can benefit me and others as a whole? So I think this Mm -hmm. is a great um, kind of just an understanding that so many of the Enneagram content out there is just really focused on I'm a, like for me, I'm a nine with an eight wing. Well, it sounds as if there's no one in there, which that's so not true. There's a lot of one in me. And so, to, and it's not even about, about having quote unquote balance. I know a lot of people think, oh, I've got to balance these out. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think we need to be healthy in what we're and how we're using our types. But God created us to allow maybe one to be more uh, prominent in our life than the other. But we don't want to miss out on the importance of both of them and how they function for Mm us. So Amy, what about you? How is the sixth part of your heart showing up? Oh, yeah, it's so interesting. And kind of along those lines, Christy, of friendship, where I have uh, really I've been so surprised by insecurity that has come up with relationships as of late. I mean, maybe the majority of us in the last two and a half years or so. 
uh, where some of that's been fragile. And I, I found myself feeling really resentful that I had follow through and the people that I continually like took care of or made sure I followed through on our fun plans or whatever were not following through. And it wasn't so much as betrayal, um, but some of the friendships, they just, I was loyal to the end, to death. I was thinking this is BFF forever, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like whatever, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and you don't grow past it. I guess at least I haven't. Um, and I've been just so surprised when all of a sudden it, it was just like those relationships weren't there anymore. And I had, I had bared my soul. I had been vulnerable. I had like shared so much and then it was like they were okay with being gone. And I'm like, how can you be okay with that? Like, I don't understand. Like, I just, and so um, that has brought about some insecurity that I'm like going again, you know, just kind of that midlife stage and thinking this is what I should be helping my teenagers with. I shouldn't be going through it. And yet um, that is the reality of going, oh, I do. Because I would have said to you, Christy, I think I have a strong eight wing but um, especially when it comes to friendships, I've seen that six uh, show up. And then and, and the positive things, I also think I've learned to lean a little bit heavier on the six when it comes to work and slow down. I told myself one project at a time this year. Reality, it's been like two at a time this year, but that's way better than my typical four or five <laughs> projects at once. So it's funny. We just interviewed um, Allie Worthington, who's going to be, everyone will hear her in a couple of weeks. And she said the exact same thing. She's like, I can only do like one project. I don't know if it's a year or at a time, but it was the exact same thing. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting, you know. Um, but it makes sense for a seven because you could do all the things, right? And mm-hmm. that can get you really spun out. And then you end up really not doing much or much really well because you got too many things going. So I love, you know, just that capturing that moment of, I know that I can spin out if I do too much. I'm just going to have one thing at a time, though, giving yourself kudos that you've at least pared it down to two. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm getting better. I'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's head into what sounds like you guys, the the wing that you use uh, more, which is your type eight wing. And so um, type eights are self-reliant, they're protective, they're independent, strong, they can be blunt, um, and have a take charge attitude. Um, now it can support your main type by using its passion, determination, and strength to help you to gain all that your heart desires. Um, now when your eight wing is trying to protect your wounded child part, some of the ways that it might come up is that it demands that others meet your needs for entertainment, fun, stimulation, and it's going to passionately plow a path for your desires with little regards of who might be in the way. Now it can cause you to seek out activities and passions that actually give you kind of that adrenaline high that you're seeking. Um, But the good news is when your eight part trusts the beloved child parts leadership, it's going to give you so many healthy strategies. So from this place, you can uh, rest. You can actually start to see your failures as positive opportunities and then try something new, try something better, try something different. You can endure hardships that eight allows you to kind of keep going and have this tough exterior, but in a positive way, kind of like a like a can-do attitude and confidence, and it gives you a lot of energy to press on for the betterment of yourself and others. 
and it is a natural leader. So it helps you to be more decisive, confident, and to quickly delegate different things to different team members that can allow you to thrive and not be overwhelmed with all the things that you might have on your plate. So like your six wing, this eight part is a great blessing when it's used in this healthy way. So can you guys share with us how your wing type eight shows up both in misaligned and aligned ways? You know, it's interesting, uh, Amy, I, I experience you with your tone of voice, your countenance, very kind, very hospitable, a little whimsical. And, but I, just knowing you're a seven, like I know there's an eight part in there <laughs> and, and I've not had the opportunity to experience her yet. Well, how does that show up? Well, and that's like, that's how a lot of people with, with me as a nine, like, Oh, you're so sweet. Yeah, so but kind. I know you're eight I part. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, Jeff, well, if my husband was here, he would be happy to tell you about my eight part. <laughs> In fact, fact, like a year ago, you guys, this is so funny. We were having a couple over for dinner and we were talking Enneagram, of course. And he straight up was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're a seven? I thought you were an eight. Wait a minute. And I'm like, do you not know me? Are we not married? Do we not talk about all this time? So that is a true story. (laughs) That is so funny. Um, Therefore. Does he have a name for your eight part? Or do you have an oh. APA part? <laughs> I would say maybe fussy um, what might be a good, I don't know, fussy franny fussy. or something. <laughs> 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 that could also talk about the one. Yeah, um, feisty. True. True. No, I think feisty, feisty would probably yeah. be a better name. Feisty, yeah. there you go. franny for the eight, and I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out the one. Uh, but and I I believe that obviously that eight kind of shows up with work in the sense of the, in, the intensity piece, the energy, the drive, the vision, thinking forward, the the air side of doing too many things at once, which I'm trying to grow. Um, and then you know there is that piece of uh, uh, again like I'm, I had a a family relationship that was very much a betraying relation that I was very much betrayed, and so that eight felt very alive <laughs> and heightened uh, the last year and a half. And so um, even so much, I was like, maybe I'm really an eight. Uh, but but it was just more of that feeling that, oh, man, that closing and that desire to close in and not let, you know, putting my guard up and not letting people in or relationships. And um, but but all of that, I think, too, it, it shows up in a good way of advocating for my kids. I've had um, you know, certain ones with different challenges, I've really needed to advocate for them, whether it's with learning stuff or other, you know, understanding them or helping them understand themselves. And, uh, and for sure, you know, just as my husband, my kids would speak to that eight side. I have an eight daughter and, you know, sometimes that eight wing and her eightness, oof, watch out. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it is interesting that you speak of it this way, because that's one of the reasons why, uh, we're speaking to the in our book more than your number because oftentimes spouses or children pick up on these various parts of us like right. that they know something about us that maybe other people don't. Yeah. And so sometimes that can come across as, oh, that's feisty mom showed up or vacation mom shows up. Uh, you know, there's different ways that we'll use to describe it. Or even our spouses might say something like, hey, that's a different side of you that no one else sees, mm-hmm. but I certainly can seem to activate that part of who you are. And sometimes giving a name to it actually helps to 
normalize the dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so for Beth, uh, the, the name that she has for her eight part is Regina. Um, I carry some eightness in my heart. I thought I was an eight for five years before realizing I'm just a scared six. Um, but I call him Reggie. And, you know, Reggie and Regina have a very um, energetic relationship. <laughs> and that helps us in the moment like, hey, who, who, I guess Regina's in the room. And, yeah. and then if I start to get upset with Beth, and move in strong. I mean, she feels it. Regina feels it. And then she kind of draws up the boundary like, no, we're not going to go there. And I'm like, no, we are going to go. There. Well, and then my type nine shuts it all down. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> but there, it, you do speak to something like uh, particularly like, I mean, even that dynamic of typing, like mm-hmm. if you're a seven with an eight wing, uh, sometimes it's hard to decipher between the two. Sure. Um, well, let's go to you, Christy. Tell us about how your eight wing shows up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in thinking about the, um, the wounded child side of this, um, I think I show up believing I can do whatever on my own and you're not going to get in my way. Hmm. Um, and so I even, I think about this time in high school, we were working out of course, and, (laughs) uh, we were in a weight room and there was this we were doing um, box jumps and it was this line. So, you know, it's this continuous jumping mm-hmm. going around. And one of the girls in front of us uh, tripped off of one of the boxes and she was like, she grabbed her ankle and she, whatever, she was in pain. Mm-hmm. I had no patience for it whatsoever. <laughs> I can remember, I remember it was my sister and me together. We were both saying, move roll out of the way because she couldn't see my ankle was hurt so we were saying roll away yes (laughs) so i think of that as that um that really negative uh energy that can come in uh Uh when i have something i want to accomplish and somebody feels like somebody's in my way and when i hey christy i i've seen that with our team like if if there is someone that's not carrying their weight. It's like, I, I'm going to need you to get out of the way so I can get this done. <laughs> like, wait, from her or for, from you? From her. Like where. Love it. Like, hey, yeah, let's this, get it done. this is, this is a weak leak in the chain and it needs to be, we need to deal with it. Yeah. Is that fair? I, yes. I was going to say, I did notice that the question you asked Amy, you did not ask to me. Like, hey, I see this kindness. It's hard to see this eight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I experienced, I have, I mean, what's interesting is how, I mean, these wings show up, you're still a seven. Yeah. And so uh-huh. how it can still be a very sort of lighthearted, but there's an element of energy, passion and strength behind it. That's almost a little surprising. I think even the the one part of seven's hearts like when it shows up everyone's like whoa whoa yeah where did this criticalness come from like i didn't think you yeah. i thought you were always uh willing to pivot and change and all of a sudden you're criticizing me <laughs> but that's how i feel I, about myself when I do that too like whoa whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> that's awesome well we do have relationships and feelings for these parts i mean but you you're speaking to it christy that um 
like there's part of you that doesn't like that experience where you're telling the girl to move over. Mm. And yet that is also a part of your gifting that when working on a team, like you, you really are committed to this team Mm -hmm. and you really want to move forward, whatever the obstacles may be. But why don't we move to pass? Yeah, so uh, the Enneagram pass, that's what we call it here at Your Enneagram Coach. Well, the two lines are connected with, to each type, and there's then two types connected to those lines. And so we're going to look at sevens, Enneagram pass, which are type one and type five. So the first one let's look at is type one. Uh, type one part for you guys can be very serious, objective, uh, more emotionally self-controlled, and can, be, can become critical of yourself and others. And it's constantly focusing on improving and reforming, and it notices what's wrong and will insist on making things right. Now, when the wounded child is at the helm, some things that you might notice with the type one is that they impose restrictions and limitations um, on yourself so that you'll get more productive and get things done. So it's kind of like the self-criticalness and um, kind of condemnation, like, oh, well, this will make me work harder. Or this will get me focused. But it can then become irritable and critical of yourself and the circumstances around you. And this part of you might point out the imperfections of yourself, others, and the world by micromanaging. Now, a great, like, when I think of this image, I think of Michael Scott in The Office, especially the episode when Kevin might have had skin cancer and it was on Michael's birthday. So the whole office is fixated on Kevin waiting to get the results. Is this cancer? Is it not cancer? But all of their attention is then taken away from Michael Scott, who just wants to have fun and a party and all the attention on him. And so he becomes very critical and nitpicky and trying to get people, you know, to focus on him in multiple ways. And I think that's just a great example of when a seven isn't getting their desires met, they can become very one-ish, which really surprises people. They're like, where is this coming from? Who is this person? Um, But the great thing we want to recognize is that the one part of a seven can be so positive and helpful when the leadership of the beloved child is at helm. So What's going to happen when the type one is healthy is they're going to accept life as it is, both the good and the bad, and live for a higher purpose. And they're going to focus on those top priority elements to then be committed to it, take time to actually getting it done, not being distracted. And then they're going to bring in a real deep sense of wisdom, accuracy, and creativity that will meet the goals or the things that need to actually happen. So guys, tell us a little bit more about this one part of your heart when they're misaligned and aligned. I'll start with the the worst parts first. I um I definitely noticed this this stress line is showing up in the low side when all of a sudden the house seems filthy. And mm. most of the time I could care less what the closets look like, what my closet looks like, what my kids' closet looks like. But every once in a while I suddenly care. And, (laughs) and the problem is though, I don't have the gifting to really do something stellar about it. I just have enough frustration to get upset about it (laughs) and Mm -hmm. like say it and be honest and like, uh, care. Um, and, and so I've been working on paying attention to that of like, okay, what's, what's really going on here? Is it really the closets or is something else bothering me here? Um, But on the flip side, and you you guys kind of touched on the fact that um, a sevens love food. 
the gluttony thing mm. is about a lot of things, but there's a lot there about food that I just love. So I have, since I was young, have had to learn to balance out that love with working out. And mm. I had, I confess that my, I was klutzy growing up. So I am not, um, I have grown my athleticism, but it has taken that reformer, the persistence, the, mm. the, the follow through dedication, being willing to do the hard things. Um, right. but certainly I'm not perfect. <laughs> I'm far from how Enneagram one would, um, probably perceive what that should look like, but it does help me, um, balance out my love for all things tasty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I love that. Cause you're, that's what we want people to realize is that these parts of you are assisting your main type. They're not just running yes. amok and doing whatever. They're assisting your main type. And so your one part's like, oh, we really love food. Okay, so if we really love food, in order to get that, we need to actually also balance out some healthy other, you know, like mm -hmm. exercise or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, drink more water so that we can actually have the fun that we're seeking. So I love the yeah. – the, how you painted that picture to have your type one come alongside and assist your ultimate desires. Now, one carries with it an inner critic. Um, mm -hmm. And one of you can answer this. Like, how, what does your inner critic sound like? Yeah, you know, I think about, a, uh, again, thinking back to when I was in high school, I don't really feel a strong um, inner critic like these days. Mm -hmm. But I remember wanting to, and I, I know I still do this, but wanting to criticize something before someone else can. Mm. So, and this will show up in work too, because I'll say, hey, I know you're, you're going to see that this isn't done yet. This is in progress. I am on top of it. So there's kind right. of this need to say like, I'm, I'm competent. I see that there's something here. I'm on it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So Good. needing to call out mm -hmm. um, errors before somebody else sure. calls them out. Sure. And and one thing to remember about EIP and Amy referenced it when uh, when she qualified her first statement was, I'm going to speak about the negative first. Oftentimes, some of these parts we have uh, negative emotions or uh, interpretations of these parts, where we haven't given a lot of opportunity to think about the benefits that these parts and how they've actually helped us, um, and that. By extent, and it's really the principle from the book of Romans where Paul was writing that it is kindness that leads us to repentance. Um, that it by e extending compassion and kindness, these parts it actually broadens our awareness of how much how these parts of us are actually functioning. They're seeking mm -hmm. our welfare, but oftentimes cause us more trouble. Uh, Paul talks about it in Colossians that. They're destined to perish with use. The more we try to use them, the more that they're overused and they don't work. Well, let's talk about the last path and the last part of EIP, and that's uh, the type five part. Um, I call my type five part Bob. Uh, Bob's a great friend of mine, and uh, he's actually in real life. Bob is a great mentor and a tremendous gift to us, um, to us both. But our five parts are intellectual, observe life with curiosity and craving to know more. Um, it fears that it lacks inner resources and that's too much interaction to lead to catastrophic depletion. Therefore, it withdraws uh, in order to recharge. Um, it supports our main type by helping to people slow down, to process their thoughts, emotions, and needs. 
But when the type 5 part is misaligned and trying to protect the wounded child of the type 7, um, you may find that for the 7s, they start to use boundaries to protect themselves from others uh, invading on them. Uh, you may find that it's harder to sort out feelings by using, um, but they use their intellect to move forward in life. They grow tired of constantly feeling like they need to be positive. But when the five part is under the leadership of the beloved child, they'll combine their intellectual insights and passions to produce some really something that's stunning and beautiful. They connect with others from both an intellectual and passionate place and generously give their insights uh, that you have gathered over time. They pull things apart and then conceptualize new ways to look at them from a creative viewpoint. So I'm not sure which of you, which one of you want to go first, but um, tell us about your relationship with this five part and what it looks, how it shows up in your life. So um, when I think about the uh, these positive, the beloved kind of attributes, I think about when I'm more contemplative, it's not normal for or not as natural for me to be contemplative and so it does move back to what i was saying earlier about a slower pace because Mm -hmm. i'm giving myself more time to think about one subject instead of the seven things i have going on at once um and i feel like my a lot of this five energy showed up for me when i first started dealing with my uh painful friendship Mm-hmm. And I had to withdraw and, you know, find a counselor. And I was trying to sort through, like, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. And so my my friends had never seen that before. And to them, it seemed to them like a, a bad thing. You know, sure. they thought, oh, Christy's not leading the charge the way she usually does. And she's not throwing parties. But I was able to see at the time it was actually really great because mm-hmm. I... I was withdrawing, but with the goal of understanding myself better and understanding this pain and then giving myself the space to process the pain. Right. Um, so, yeah, I. That's really that's good. That's how I see it, see it show up in that beloved side. At the same time, I've, I feel the, on the wounded child side, um, I can move into cynicism. Mm -hmm. And so I, I read a book once that said um, one of the indicators of cynicism is when you think to yourself, I just know too much. Mm. I've been here. I'm well versed Mm -hmm. on this subject, been through this situation. I know too much. So no, I don't have hope for this anymore. And no, I won't be optimistic. And so I can, can definitely feel that. No, usually on a when things on a macro level are going a direction that is concerning to me, then I can move into this stage of nothing's ever going to change. Mm-hmm. I feel this deep cynicism. Yeah, I I resonate with that deeply. I I've never associated that with the five part of my heart. It, mm-hmm. it is cynicism. Oh yeah. Oh man. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> That is Stink. cynicism can can go Christy, pretty this deep is supposed for to be the, about uh, you, not me. <laughs> Dang. Yes. Holy cow. Yeah, me All right, Bob the cynic. Mm-hmm. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> Amy, Amy, so you were saying you love five. So I what is do. it for you? Yeah, I do. And I, it's fun to hear you say that, Christy. Just the, I don't know, the kindredship there or something. And maybe it's 
wanting to learn more of how to be like them in a way. But um, on the, on the on the downside, I, I think how it relates most, how I could articulate it, when as a seven, I feel like too many things are placing too many responsibilities at once. I feel that kindredship to that catastrophic catastrophic depletion that a five feels. Mm. Um, now they feel it from like a withdrawing energy or people being around them. I've, I've, I feel it about responsibilities where everybody needs something at once and I can't possibly take care of them and keep a piece for me. And, and it's definitely right. going to limit my idea of fun. Even as silly as it sounds is when the kids, I had three kids in three and a half years. And so it was nuts. Mm. And even reading a book was impossible because it took all my energy. Like there was no 10 minutes before I fell asleep. There was nothing. <laughs> and so right. so there was that like with the drawing and retreating. And therefore, then I felt like I didn't have energy even outside of it when it went when there was an opportunity to do something fun. I was like, I don't think I can even do something fun. Everything's taking from me, um, which yeah. was such a, you know, a crisis for a seven. Uh so reading the EIP for me, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. But on the positive side, of course, on the on the the goodness of it, because there's so much good. It's the the steadiness, it's the studiousness, it's the reverse engineering um, element mm-hmm. where the five takes time to figure out something and maybe it's um, it's the combining not only the knowledge but the experience, and that to me, re- reverse engineering kind of does that because you're still like involved while learning and obtaining information, and so you put in action. So th- that's kind of a uh, that's a fun piece that I I think that in understanding the five, I go, oh yeah, it's there. I'd love to see more of those positive elements come through and shine through and savor and all the goodness that a five does offer. Oh, that's so good. Well, usually with, um, you know, our podcast, we talk about, you know, the bus analogy and how we want the beloved child to be, you know, driving the bus because it's has the wisdom and the insight and the maturity to take everyone that's on the bus, the wounded child and all of our parts to the healthiest destination. But when the beloved child decides to just get in the back of the bus and take a nap and the bus is still going, the wounded child and all of the misaligned parts are going to freak out and grab the wheel. And they're trying the best that they can to keep us on path, but they're ill-equipped. They really don't know how to. So we want to honor the wounded child and the misaligned parts and not shame or condemn them, but to realize they're trying their best. But that is why we need to wake up our beloved child to bring them back into the uh, the right position of the leader of the bus and to drive the bus into that healthiest destination. And so by understanding all of that, when our beloved child knows and believes who we are in Christ and that we are, you know, our core longing is satisfied, then the rest of our parts are going to relax and enjoy the ride and the best elements of them will come forth. Just like scripture says, what's in our heart comes out. So anyway, we are so thankful that you guys showed up and you just really helped us to see inside of the type seven, ex- explore some new parts that you guys weren't always from, you know, familiar with about yourselves and just to go there. Well, thanks uh, to our guests and our audience for joining us on this particular episode. Please be sure to share it with the type sevens in your life and um, also, uh, yeah, to your friends who uh, love type sevens. What we did today is, in part, something about Enneagram coaching. And so we'd love for you to ex- personally experience this. 
You can connect with one of our certified Enneagram coaches uh, at myenneagramcoach.com. You can find someone that's skilled in your area or maybe even local to your area. Uh, We've got coaches all over the world. You can also pre-order our new book, More Than Your Number. It's releasing here soon, September 20th, as a matter of fact. And so head on over to where you buy books to pre-order the book. And join us next week. I'm so excited for the next episode because we're going to interview the very amazing K.J. Ramsey, who is a type four licensed therapist and an incredible author of two books. Her latest book, which I am currently devouring, as Jeff knows, is called The Lord is My Courage, Stepping Through the Shadows of Fear Towards the Voice of Love. I guys, I can't wait for you to hear from her and just to hear her story. Oh, man, the story alone will be phenomenal. So I can't wait, one, to interview her and for you guys to hear her. So join us next week as we listen to KJ. But as always, please remember that the Enneagram reveals your need for Jesus, not your need to work harder. It is the gospel that transforms us. 